Okay, so we're live. There you go. Says up in the top corner for us anyway. So um, really lucky tonight. We've got uh, Chris Holmes joining us tonight, all the way from sunny Florida. Um, <laughs> Pedro Sauer, Black Belt since 2018. And I'm going to try and pronounce it right this week. Um, owner or part owner of a Gogi Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Down in Florida. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Chris. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, I enjoyed your podcast uh, tremendously with Kathy. Uh, I have, I've checked in uh, a few times with you all, um, but having Kathy on and being able to focus on that was uh, just, I, like I said, I've, I've listened to it three times. She did a great job and you guys did a fantastic job with hosting and everything. So thank you so much for having me as well. Yeah, no, you're welcome. We could have, uh, like all of them, to be fair, we could have just kept on going and going and going. And we just kind of had to call it because... <laughs> Otherwise, we turn into turn into a three-hour Rogan copy, and we thought we won't do that. We'll just uh... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, she was awesome. But yeah, so yeah, we were just chatting before we got started, really, about which is what always happens. We kind of end up talking loads before the podcast, before we even press uh, play on the podcast. Um, right. We were just talking about sort of your students having time away and appreciating their time a little bit more on the mats, and sort of. Just for everybody as a bit of background, obviously, as you know, for the UK, we're still not training yet. We're getting closer and closer, hopefully. Um, but obviously in the States, you've had like variants. So everyone we get on each week is kind of at a different point. And some people can train and some people are still on and off. And But you guys are training. So, yeah, you're just saying how your students are sort of much more appreciative of their time and their training and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, having time away and giving them the opportunity, like we were saying about instead of rushing out the store and go or rushing out the door and going to class, they're, you know, they're at home now with their kids, uh, with their spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends and, and significant others and such. And they, you know, as much as they pined for the mat and getting back to it and that social structure and that workout, um, many of them come back to me and said that, you know, first off, they really appreciate now more so what they took for granted, which was every day walking in. Mm. Um, and they also understood how they were missed uh, from the house, from wherever they were. And um, they're more appreciative of that privilege so that, you know, maybe taking out the trash isn't such a, isn't such a chore, you know, it's on the way out the door. But yeah, it's, it's been a real eye opener for some. You were saying you're pretty much back to pre-COVID levels with students and stuff like that as well. So that's good to hear. Yes, very much so. Kids class took a hit. We uh, we were down. We went from uh, was it 25, 26. Kathy has the numbers. It was down to four. I mean, that's how, how it got. And um, then as soon as it broke, uh, I mean, my, my phone just is ringing off the hook just off the hook. And we're 15 away from our, our adult and kid numbers, which was a hundred. So we're about to 106. So we'll be up there with 15 more students very soon. And is, it, is it the same students coming back, Chris? Or is it, um, is it a new, a new um, cohort, so to speak? Actually, we've got, we've got some people, uh, new, new people that have contacted us. Um, we've had some that the old students, they, they literally flooded back in the door, you know, um, but I, my phone's been ringing off the hook from people that um, are looking to get out, get something to do. And um, 
we've spent a long time in a very small community that we live in building a name. And, um, you know, that, that has, that has helped us with the, uh, word of mouth advertising. So yeah, yeah. It's a lot of new people calling. You saying about like the people, you know, value their time more. I think, I think, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to is it's, I think it might inspire a, a bunch of people to go out and, and chase their dreams and their, you know, what they've always wanted to do a little bit more when they're allowed to. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. You know, um, when you're stuck, you know, and you've got nothing to do. Um, yeah, we, we enjoy this type of interaction, you know, and our smart devices and gaming and things like that. But then when we, we suddenly realize that we can't go out and intermingle with, with humans. Well, now we have to realize that, yeah, you know, being a, being a hermit wasn't exactly as cool as I thought it was, you know, I need to, I need to get out. And, um, that seems to be happening more and more. And people, you know, people smile in Florida in general, but, um, you see a lot more interaction with people that is um, uh, very happy. You know, it's very happy to see people that are like, you know, more, more gracious and more grateful to, for interaction. So. I think nice it's good. I was just going to say, it's just nice to hear that there's some, it's nice to hear the positives out, out of sort of some of the other side and, you know, cause we're still in that thing and I'm sure, you know, Rob and I have talked about it and Bill as well, a lot about we're worried about how people are going to be when they come back out again and how they're going to feel about, you know, if we if we just really sort of talk about the jiu-jitsu stuff, they, you know, we're worried about are some people going to find it weird actually being in that close proximity to people again, especially over here where we've had like, a you know, over a year before they get back. How did you fight? Were people pretty keen to just jump back on and start sweating on, in each other's eyes and... Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, um, that barrier broke pretty quick. Good. Um, you know, so that was, that was, um, kind of, uh, we could, we could see that coming, you know, people were just ready to get back at it. Um, we had to tell people to throttle back a little bit because they were so excited to get back into grappling, um, and the, and the classes and everything. Uh, the first couple of classes were more social than actual training. Yeah. Um, People got together and I, I brought class together. Sorry, one of my cats is going to make an appearance here in a second. Um, he, uh, but what happened was people, they were getting ready to, to just get at it. And then when they got started talking on the mat, the first couple of classes were, and we did a couple of moves, but then people started talking and sharing their experiences, yeah. you know, and then about the third or fourth class, we were back at it as if it never happened. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's good to hear, definitely. I'm just trying to work out how long until we're at. We're, we're potentially allowed back on the mats. I think it's the 21st of June is our uh, our light at the end of the tunnel. Circled that on the calendar, did you? Yeah, marking it off the wall, <laughs> bedposts, you know, whatever, yeah. <laughs> we might be back in the building five weeks before that. Yeah, it's just we won't be able to touch each other still. So you can just, you know, hurl insults at each other. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Here comes an arm bar. <laughs> Give him a stern look. Right. Yeah, we'll be practicing all that. So I'm um, obviously the the bit obviously that we haven't done yet is how did you how did your jiu-jitsu journey start? Where was your how did you get into it in the first place? Um. 
I'm, I'll kind of shorten it down. Uh, when I was a, when I was a kid, I was bullied a lot incessantly. Um, had the same size head as I do today, but on a very small body. You know, it was like Charlie Brown walking around. Um, moved around a lot. So dad tried like team sports, baseball. I failed at that. Got hit in the head a couple of times with the ball, and I was done. Um, football, your our soccer. Um, that did well, except um, didn't do quite well with the with the running part. Um, so he tried a lot of different things for my uh, self-esteem. Got tired of me running away from fights. My dad is, uh, was in the Marine Corps, um, fantastic human being. Um, then he got me into the Taekwondo when I was uh, very young. And that did, that did okay for a while, um, but was still having some issues. Um, got into wrestling in junior high and as if, as if some sort of magic wand or something hit me in the head with a bat or something. Uh, within a day, all the bullying stopped. I made a connection. I was like, okay, so I'm wearing a Carmel wrestling shirt, Carmel Junior High wrestling shirt on, and all the bullies left me alone. So I started thinking about that. Um, wrestled all the way through junior high, high school, uh, spent some time coaching, uh, fell in love with it, freestyle, Greco. Um, I'd stay up till three o'clock in the morning for the Olympics to watch like maybe two minutes of actual coverage. You know, it was horrible. Um, and then I uh, went to college, University of Wisconsin. And uh, I saw, uh, I was working late nights at a video store and I saw the UFC tapes, uh, rented the first two, first three, saw Hoist and uh, it was all over. Once I saw that, it was all over. I didn't go to class. I blew off my college classes, um, looked for a jujitsu school as close as I could find. I was in Kenosha, Wisconsin at the time. The closest one was in Milwaukee. Um, called uh, a Japanese jiu-jitsu place. It was actually ran out of a out of a uh, <laughs> out of a pawn shop. So you walk in and there was clocks and everything, and people he was selling stuff. And um, I had gone to Barnes and Nobles and bought a jiu-jitsu book. It was the Henzo um, Hoyler, the blue belt one. And I said, I wanted to learn this. It was probably the most arrogant thing I'd ever done. It's like, I really want to learn this. And who's Japanese jujitsu? But yeah, but I really want to learn this. And uh, he was very gracious and very kind. And, um, you know, he it was great education. So two weeks into that, uh, I suffered a horrific motorcycle accident. Uh, so two weeks into my training, I went from being an active wrestler. I wrestled in tournaments. Um, I had a, just a, a different mindset. Uh, head, uh, head first into a van, uh, had my leg from the knee to the shin, uh, completely shattered, had to be rebuilt. Uh, my left hand was completely destroyed. I had to have uh, metal put in it. Um, so I was at home they took me back home. I was laying in bed and, and my jujitsu instructor came in he goes, so I wonder what happened to you. Now I can see. And, um, I, it took me a little back to get back to the upright position and walking. Um, but, uh, I moved down to Pensacola with my, uh, family at the time. And I saw a very brief boxing Academy thing on the television and they had a two second blurb of two guys rolling in, in geese. And I caught it. I said, well, wait a minute. What was that? So I called the guy and, uh, went to take a class and, um, by this time I was hobbling around. My knee didn't bend right. I was a mess. And um, 
couple of weeks into that, uh, I was introduced to um, a guy by the name of Scott Yassen, who was who came down to teach at that boxing academy, and he was under Pedro Sauer. Um, mass respects to Master Sauer, and um, that's how I started. And uh, through the naval career that my ex-wife had, we ended up having the opportunity to move northward uh, to Virginia. She says, well, where do you want to move? And I knew Master Sauer was up there. I said, want to go there? So she said, great, let's do this. And um, I walked into uh, Jeff Gordon's place in Gaithersburg as a blue belt. And uh, that's where I met Kathy, your previous guest. And uh, she walked up to me. Uh, kind of stuck her hand out very nice and said, hi, I'm Kathleen Ortiz. I'm kind of the den mother. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, there was more to her. And um, so I trained twice a day, every chance I got, um, worked my way up from blue, purple, uh, my purple belt. Master Sauer uh, opened a school in Sterling, Virginia, asked me to, to, to manage it for him, which was a huge honor. And um, so I started doing that um, and then uh, ended up moving down here to Florida, uh, got involved in corrections, the Department of Corrections, uh, was a correctional officer for four years. But in there, I had taken some time off to get that squared away. And uh, I tried finding some schools down here. And Kathy finally said to me one day, she said, look, it's time to open a school. We've been talking about it for years, and uh, we opened up a Goki Academy of Combatives in Inverness, Florida. So that kind of gives you kind of a, a small uh, bit of history to work with. Yeah. So. Were, you, um, were you working other jobs? I know you mentioned the corrections um, mm -hmm. time, but <clears throat> you said when you saw the videos that that was it. You were going all in jiu-jitsu, but were you, were you doing you know, regular jobs as well as, as learning jiu-jitsu? Uh, I was, I worked at Home Depot, which was a large, I'm familiar with Home Depot. Everybody seems to be familiar with Home Depot, large, big box store. I worked in the garden department. Um, I was going to college to become a teacher. I wanted to teach history. So my major was, I had a history major uh, with a minor in creative writing. Uh, the idea was to become a wrestling coach. Um, and then when I fell in love with jujitsu, I was like, oh my God, this is great. Um, so I, I did a lot of that, uh, did some odd jobs just to get through college. Um, didn't really have a career at that point. I was a stay-at-home dad when my first, when my daughters were born. Uh, my ex-wife was in the military. She was, excuse me, in the Navy. So we did a lot of moving. So it wasn't really conducive to having a career, so to speak. So I focused on staying at home and being a dad, doing some odd jobs here and there. But uh, that was pretty much it. Uh, before, before corrections, uh, when I moved down to Florida, Kathy found me a great job. I drove a school bus for children for one, one school year. And uh, that, that told me a lot about that profession. And I decided that I wanted to go into law enforcement because that was safer. And uh, <laughs> I chose corrections because... Um, my daughters, uh, Kathleen, uh, Kathy, uh, and we had talked and uh, my daughters said that they just weren't comfortable with me being out on patrol. Uh, I have a mad love for law enforcement and what they have to do with, deal with. 
And I thought, well, okay, so I'll go into corrections because that's safer, right? You know, I'm in a fenced area with no weapons. Everybody around me is there for a reason. You know, violence is a common place. Yeah, so let's sign on for that. So I did, I went to the, the, the law enforcement academy, uh, signed up and I served at the Florida Department of Corrections. I served in their youthful offender boot camp which is if you've ever seen like Full Metal Jacket, the opening of that, that's kind of what it was. Uh, I, was an, I was an AM drill instructor. Um, so I kind of channeled my dad a little bit in there. Um, worked with the other youthful offender program, the extended day program. So um, there was a lot of uh, use of force, uh, lots of um, cuffing, uh, lots of resisting arrest. Um, and... I became acutely aware of the differences between, and at the time um, I was, hadn't got my brown belt yet. Uh, I was working on that. Um, but I found a very uh, vast difference between somebody who actively practices the grappling arts and somebody who comes into a program and learns defensive tactics and their, and their sole dependency on that um, was very eye-opening to me when I, when I was on the compound. Um, and then the sudden need for, uh, the, the ability to, to hone those abilities to, to really get into grappling because you can't just clock somebody in the face. You know, you, you know, you, you're, you're within a, a construct of the use of force guidelines, which means you have to play ball within those, within those lines. And, um, when you're, when you're dealing with a combative individual, um, it, it changes things. So we developed our law enforcement program and, uh, we have a law enforcement program now with the association that, uh, I'm going to be actively pursuing, but, uh, I had a law enforcement program at my school and a lot of, uh, a few people that are retired military and, um, currently on the job and they love it. Interesting when you talk about like the situation you were in as a corrections officer, that, that almost seems like a, the most distilled way down of then <laughs> having to need your jiu-jitsu, your self-defense from your jiu-jitsu. Because like you say, if you're out on patrol, there, I suppose there could be, and I don't know because our police officers don't carry guns and stuff, but there's, there could be more reliance on those things rather than your jujitsu. Whereas where you were, you've got less options available to you, I guess. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's, it's a different, um, it's a different world. Um, you know, law enforcement officer deals with the civilian population. Um, it's a 50, 50, you know, is this going to go bad or is this just going to be a routine traffic stop that I issue a ticket or, you know, issue a citation or tell somebody to keep their dog quiet. Um, or, you know, you're in the, in the, in the car and you roll up on what seems to be a routine traffic stop and it turns violent, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got your lethal, uh, you've got your, your taser. Um, so there's, there's options, but when it comes to, when it gets when you go from your verbals to hands-on, um, it, it 
I've seen a lot of dash cam footage, uh, a lot of, uh, talked to a lot of the, the sheriff's deputies that would bring inmates to the back gate that we'd go pick up. And uh, I got a really good education, you know, from the guy, from people that were doing it, um, you know, and then they'd see us, you know, and something would happen and, and uh, they'd look at us. They had to turn their weapons in outside because you couldn't bring the weapons into the institution. They couldn't bring their firearms in. And here we're standing here with, you know, we've got gas cuffs and the radio. That's it. You know, um, so uh, it, it's a stark contrast. How did, you, did you find it distilled anything down at all? Did you find that there was certain techniques or um, philosophies or things like that that got distilled down from your training? And was there stuff that you kind of went, okay, that, that I don't need, I know, again, it's a specific situation, but that I don't need so much. Whereas this, this is what I use most often. How, how did it change your view on some of your training? Um, if you look at it from a, taking somebody off the street, into the academy and you have to teach them, you have to teach them self-defense tactics. You have to teach them defensive tactics, okay? Um, and it also has to be, you have to be able to describe it on paper. So everything you do has to be reported. So you have to be able to, to articulate what you did on paper. Um, so they devise a program set up to train the officer on how to put somebody in a position where they're able to cuff them safely. Um, you have in on the street where you have things on your duty belt, you have to learn how to protect those things because that gets, that changes the conversation entirely. Um, through my training, uh, I was the one kid that, or one guy that showed up to the academy with a big Gracie jujitsu sticker on the side of my Jeep. So I was targeted immediately. Um, <laughs> brought in uh and said look you know we understand you have a certain background but please allow us to you know show us and i i said look i'm here to learn yeah. you know i'm not here to say oh that, that'll never work you know two fingers of the eyes um I, I was told i i just i was a student you know and 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 um but it was very it was very um apparent to me that some of the some of the techniques there were some questions i had um and throughout the course of my career every time we'd go to our yearly training after i got on the compound i got on on our rapid response team which is our one of our special teams um and i would go to these defensive tactics classes for 45 minutes or a day and and um you know I had got into some conversations about certain techniques that, you know, this is what the department wants. So this is what we have to teach. But when you watch an officer brand new, fresh out of the fresh, fresh into the compound, um, go hands on with, with an inmate and uh, they try to deploy the technique to get the inmate down like a straight arm bar against the shoulder, put him to the ground. And the inmate pulls away and laughs at them. And the, the officer's like, they're, now they're perplexed because they didn't, they, whether by practice or whatever, it didn't work. Um, so there's a massive discussion to be had about, you know, what's applicable, you know, and what isn't. How, how receptive are that? Because I know over here, they're, 
the level of receptiveness to um, new ideas is not very good, if I'm being diplomatic, um, and that, that probably the training isn't enough in terms of the length or the regularity of of how often they get their skills refreshed. So is that the same over there? Do you, I mean, it could, I guess for you guys, it might be completely different state to state and department to department. Yeah, it varies. I mean, one of the things that we, we strive to do was it always came down to two things. When I would, when I talked to a, an officer about a program, it usually came down to time because they're on shift you know, out there doing the job. And then, you know, what do they do when they're off shift? Well, they've got to decompress somehow and they've got family obligations and things like that. So it's, it's kind of tough to seek outside training. Um, and not all outside training is applicable. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can argue and you can have a long discussion about grappling arts in general. Um, kicking and striking arts once the pin's pulled, I mean, if you're fighting for your life, then all bets are off. Mm. You know, you, you do what you do. Um, but not all are applicable. You know, you, and I always, tell my, I always tell our students that, you know, when you're at the family event and, you know, Uncle John has had a little bit too much, um, you, don't you don't necessarily want to go Krav Maga on him. You know, you might want to just wrap him up and take him to the, the grass and, you know, say, okay, Uncle John, it's time that you go, you know, time to get you sobered up. Um, and that's the same thing. Not, not all of those are applicable. Mm -hmm. So there is some, there is some hesitation um, in, in some regards as it relates to that. What is exactly applicable? And, and a lot of the departments right now are spending exorbitant amount of time and money to look into law enforcement programs that are that, that that they that they can send their officers to that they feel safe enough that yeah this is applicable to their job uh jiu-jitsu does an amazing uh it has an amazing contribution to that uh we have in our association um a law enforcement program that is uh just, just absolutely amazing. And Master Sauer tells the story of back in Utah, they brought in attorneys uh, to the school and Master Sauer and a couple of students worked out a curriculum based on what was going to be legally, you know, viable for that situation. So there's, there's always that ongoing discussion. Yeah, it's come up a few times actually and, and yeah, I mean, we're whenever we're allowed to travel, <laughs> when if you know, it'd be great for us to come and to come and see that as well, and see if we can try and get some of our students that are because we've got some police officers here and that train with us, and so it'd be great if yeah we could get the opportunity to get them to look at it as well and see what it works for for the UK sort of framework as well. That'd be kind of cool, but who knows when we can do that? <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully soon. Hopefully very soon. Yeah. So, so um, I have two questions for you, Chris, that, that <laughs> have sprung to mind whilst we've been talking. Um, first one, you said you were going to, you were studying to become a teacher. Um, and I can imagine, you know, if you become a teacher, that first day standing in front of your own class, 
kind of like how that must feel. What can you remember your first jujitsu class? <laughs> what you taught vividly. <laughs> vividly remember my first jujitsu class. Um, after walking into the the store with the Gracie jujitsu book, um, I was invited to come back later that evening for my free class. So I did. Walked upstairs. It was a long, long stairs, and I turned the corner, and there's this big office area that had mats down, and. Uh, the gentleman's uh, son was an Olympic judo practitioner. So yeah, this is going to get nasty. Um, so he said, well, let's unpack some of this. So um, being an active wrestler at the time, uh, I felt pretty strong on my feet. I felt pretty strong as a grappler. And um, so, you know, we kind of sparred a little bit and, uh, Felt good. Took him down a few times, you know, single leg, double leg, you know, uh, fireman's carry. I, I was doing pretty well. Got to the ground and I got murdered, just murdered. Um, learned my first lesson on tapping very quickly. Um, and it was, it was eye-opening. It was very much a crucible. Um, it wasn't until very, very, very much later that I realized I may not have been as good with my takedowns as I thought I was because he wanted me on the ground and how I got, to, how he got there, he didn't care. So yeah, that single leg worked pretty well. well. Maybe not. Maybe he was actually just letting me have it because triangled a lot. You know, my first lesson, I got triangled a lot. Um, but uh, it was, it was opening. I mean, my condition, I mean, cardio strength, I was still competing at the time. So I bulldogged my way through it, muscled my way through things, you know, um, once we got down on the ground and he was on his back, my wrestler stuff kicked in and it was like, okay, game over. No, just starting, just starting. Yeah. So, uh, it was, uh, it was an eye opening experience, but then I, I fell in love with him. I was already in love with it. I wanted to do it. I didn't care what it was. I said, I'd go through anything, you know? So yeah, that's my first class. And do you, do you remember your, um, your first class teaching? So do you remember that, that, that transition to actually being the teacher or not? Um, funny thing, it was kind of like spoon fed a little bit. Um, I always seem to be uh, one. I always seem to be given the new person coming on the mat. Um, I started out when I got to Jeff's in Gaithersburg. Um, there were a few of us that were kind of like misfit toys. I have a knee that doesn't bend all the way. So my one knee bends underneath me and the other one kind of comes out like a kickstand. Yeah. You know, it's a great base to have, you know, um, but, uh, we would, the new, the move du jour would be out. And, um, there were a few of us that would kind of congregate over on one side and, I would explain because of my wrestling background and, and some things I try to explain how to apply this new move or how to, to, you know, factor it into your head. That's how Kathy and I became friends. And there was a group of us that were like, okay, we're going to figure this out. Um, Jess was a very sport oriented school, very sport, lots of competitors, lots of competition. Um, you know, the roles were never, uh, never easy. Um, they were kind of brutal, but that was the time, you know, that was the time. 
And as, as those things progressed, um, I found myself uh, working with more people. And then when uh, Master Sauer asked me to uh, manage the school, I had a 10 o'clock class, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I uh, started off with four students and then six and then 10. And then it grew from there. And it just kind of, um, I started my teaching parroting everything that Master Sauer said. Mm. I watched the white, the blue videos and they were videos, <laughs> videotape into the machine, um, you know, uh, to the point where I had mannerisms down, I parroted everything. And so I just asked myself not to teach what I saw is my approach to it, but how Master Sauer wanted it taught. So I just parroted things, you know, and um, that helped a lot. Finding, finding a cadence there. Um, when questions would come about certain things, I just go back to the basic techniques. So the white to blue basics became uh, my bread and butter. And uh, also my, my, uh, my sentence, because every new person that came on the mat my favorite lesson became how to break fall, how to stand up and base, how to shrimp, how to oompa, you know, <laughs> bump and roll. Okay. And then eventually somebody else would teach passing the guard. So that's kind of what I was designed to. Yeah, it's really good. I, I, I remember the first time I stood in front of an adult class. I think these two were away training maybe Iceland or something summer camp it would have been and it, it just the, the, that first day that all eyes are on you and it's like oh my god you know what if there is a question that I can't answer or you know what, what are they going to bring me today but no it's a it's a fascinating um transition from being a, a student to actually trying to impart knowledge it's uh, yes it's very different <laughs> um that's the, that's the cool thing about it too and and uh I picked this up from Master Sauer, uh, you know, you, and it's it's common. You really don't truly know something until you can impart it on somebody else, and and you impart it in its truest form. So you're not diluting it, you're not changing it. it it's it, that's how we, we're we're custodians of this. So we have to impart it in a manner in which it is. It's you know. I've had some fantastic black belts work with me over the course of years. And one of the things that I wanted to point out was that I started my jujitsu career fully functional. It wasn't until after my accident when I had issues that I couldn't do the, the way it was prescribed. Mm -hmm. And that became, well, there were some instructors that I had had that found that as a challenge because I couldn't do how they wanted me to do it. Um, thankfully, uh, between, you know, Master Sauer, people like Jim Kelly, Alan Baker, Alan Hopkins, um, there's just, it's just a, a nonstop list of fantastic people. Alan Maganello, oh my gosh, um, goes on and on. And these people, I would take privates with them and I said, this is what I've got. You know, this is how I look in my posture. And they're like, okay, well, let's, let's, un let's remap this. Mm -hmm. So structurally and, and technically it works for you, you know, and, and it stays true to its, its, its guard pass or whatever that we were doing sweep or whatever. And um, once I started looking at that and 
finding something with the student that was, that I could, if it was, if, if the person was a chef, I would start figuring out how do I take, okay, how do I take jujitsu and turn it into a recipe cooking? Yeah. How can I do that? And once I could make the connection, whether you were an engineer, cook, you know, whatever, if I could make that connection, then it wasn't me trying to get you to understand it. It was simply going, oh, you understand it. I just now know the vernacular to use yeah, yeah. so that you understand, you know, passing the guard, cross body, mount, submission. That's the recipe for brownies. And how do you make that happen? And once I made that connection, I was like, oh, this is easy. There we go. It's a really useful insight, actually. Really good. Yeah, I like that. I like that as a, a way of thinking of, yeah, making it easier for people. Because, yeah, sometimes you can spend your time sort of digging around for different ways of saying the same thing to see if that's what sort of clicks with that person. And eventually it is a way. <laughs> It is always just how you say something that then makes it click for them, isn't it? Or how you show them or how you describe it. And you have to find 20 million ways of describing the same thing in a in a slightly different way. But that's right. a good way of zoning in on it probably a bit quicker. Quite I like that. It is. And finding out when you I my big passion, Kathy's massive passion is is uh, is women in the art. And I mean, obviously you can tell. Mine was um, bullying and dealing with kids um, and giving them that type of, of avenue. Um, I have found that a lot of what I teach in the kids class, I then translate to the adult class because what I've learned teaching children is I, once I translated that to the adult class, working with kids is like working with life-size action figures. You're constantly moving their arms and their limbs and then pulling them back for their straight and moving their head this way. And um, verbiage, you know, no, no, don't do this and put your hand here. No, not there. It's, it becomes, it, it's problematic and kids are, they love to imitate. Mm. So when I figured that out and got some success with my kids and found my kids were break falling better than most of my adults and the shrimping became easier. I'm like, okay, I've got to figure that out. And, um, I, I, as long as the message stays the same and it's true, then imparting it between the kids and the adults actually became quite easy. Mm. I didn't, I didn't change anything. I just like, oh, okay, I'll just not to make feel people feel like I'm talking to them like children. It's just, I took a lot of the, I, I worked on taking some of the confusion out of it. Um, and all that comes back from, you know, having great instructors imparting that on me and just imprinting it on me genetically. When you mentioned a second ago, when you just went through, and this is what I think is interesting about uh, the association is that you went through sort of a list of instructors then about who you sort of took privates with that helped you then. And, oh, yeah. just, and just taking those guys, forget, you know, obviously there's, you know so many more out there that you know you couldn't even couldn't even mention i found that i feel like the the association's so deep with in like great instructors not just great practitioners like you know obviously they're that as well but it's crazy like you can look at other associations and again we're biased but you know you got some guys there we go oh, that guy is incredible you know incredible competitor or incredible you know this or but just the depth of um 
of instructing capability is what makes uh, the IC is a really obvious difference, probably. You did mention one of you mentioned in Kathy's podcast that you were talking about making a list of talking to the different black belts in the association about their, you know, doing that. I could, I can give you a list and put you uh, just, you would spend the next year with podcasts. We just, might need it. <laughs> I'll make that available to you. Easy day, you know, um, but yeah, there, there's just, there's a generation. Um, the association has grown so much. When I first um, saw it, it was in a grappling magazine and it fit on one page and it was two columns and they were spaced just enough. So it fit, the, it fit the page. I mean, that's, that's how it was, you know, nothing internationally, at least I don't remember at the time. And um, when I, I always did due diligence. So when I got home after hearing about the Scott Yassen guy, I picked up the phone and called the number that was on the bottom, you know, and uh, I got this very thick, thick accented um, gentleman on the phone. And I said, hi, I'm Chris Holmes. Uh, I'm calling to, uh, you know, to vet out the Scott Yassen guy. Um, is there any way, you know, can I talk to somebody about him? You know, and he goes, oh yeah, no problem. He's a great guy. You could have a great time. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm listening to this guy on the phone. I'm going, I go, I'm sorry. I didn't catch your name. Uh, I apologize. And he goes, Oh, it's Pedro Sauer. I'm like, Master Sauer, uh, how are you? <laughs> Big foot in mouth, no problem. Um, and uh, having, you know, having that type of accessibility, I mean, the association was so small at the time. Um, you know, there were, I wouldn't say a handful of black belts, but in in if you look at today's grouping of black belts and what we, what I was looking at back then, there was a handful of black belts. Um, every one of them was was just straight up, just a mold right off right off of you know Master Sour and uh, um, they all came out of Utah and various parts you know and and um, of course he had other students that had branched out through the and, and you know. Um, he just had tacticians, technicians. They were all just amazing instructors. Um, so gracious. Uh, you never felt you never felt that you were just getting beat on. It was never that way. I mean, you got dispatched pretty quickly. I mean, there's just no doubt. You feel done. <laughs> uh, first role I had was with uh, 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 one of his black belts at. Uh, uh, Alan Hawkins seminar, and uh, I was waiting on the wall. I still had my white belt on, you know, and I got out there and snap, tap, and that was it. <laughs> I, you know, I got back to the wall and I was sitting there for 45 minutes going, is it my turn yet? You know, um, but you never felt like you were in a shark tank or, or a, a grinder of any kind. These guys were just, they didn't have to use muscle. They didn't have to use brutality. It was just technique. It was just, mind-blowing stuff sorry no, no, awesome. perfect and it's, it's like i'm sure the other two guys will attest it's this you know it's the same you know we feel exactly the same and I, I imagine it's the same sort of story across the association and you know i remember even the day we did our blue belt grading um with mike diaz and 
man, he did a seminar the day before. <laughs> um, and then and then we did our grading the next day. And I think ours was about four hours or four and a half hours it started running into. And then and then we got to roll with Mike after, you know, at the end. And I think he tapped me out three times in about 30 seconds, probably. Right. And I wish I could blame it on being so tired, but it was just, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even know what it got me with. I did. I was just like, oh, cool. That was fun. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's uh, you have a, uh, um, there's a, when I, when I got to, um, I just got my brown belt. Uh, I had tested with Kathy for our brown belt. Uh, we, I knew she was being tested and, uh, they kind of cornered me. I was still a purple belt. I was kind of enjoying the fact that Kathy was going to get a brown before me. I was very excited about that. And uh, we went up to Herndon for the testing. And uh, I walk in and Master Sauer was, uh, comes up and goes, oh, Chris, good to see you. So you ready for testing? I'm like, uh, yeah. no. <laughs> you know, I, of course, I was like, you know, professor, whatever you want. I'm, I'm game for it. And uh, apparently they'd done some just talking in the background because my wife tucked my brown belt in her bag and brought it with her. So I tested and um, uh, one of the, one of my dear friends in Ebo uh, caught me after my brown belt. I had freshly tied it on. It's feeling good. You know, uh, he says, Oh, I want to be your first role. I'm like, fantastic. I walked out there and he's uh, an Ebo is just, he's out of uh, Oregon and uh, he killed me just destroyed me and it was like i it was the best lesson because it was like okay that's cool you're a brown belt now but you still have a long way to go <laughs> and um i limped off the mat and um you know but uh there's just there's a, a technical prowess that is master sao is always saying you know you you play jujitsu you train like you're rolling with your 12 year old daughter or your eight-year-old son you know um kathy's favorite quote comes from matt strack and i'm pretty sure if, if he if he came up with it you know all the credit that he came from somewhere else i don't know but she attributes it to matt strack by saying you know you you, you train um like you're 90 years old so you can train when you're 90 years old and that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. You know, it, it really is. People want to come in and just test it. They want to pressure test everything. And, um, that's one of my constant messages, my constant talks. It drives students crazy because I sound like a, like a, just a chattering monkey. But, you know, you know, don't break your toys. Be nice to each other. You know, however it's being. You know, I try to come up with different ways of saying the same thing, you know. Um, but being light when you train, um, you don't have to go a thousand percent. You don't have to. It's, you're, you're getting training. You know, you're going to get it and it's going to be there when you need it. Um, but it won't be there if you have to go outside and put a bag of peas on your elbow, you know, and, and, and take, you know, take, a, take an ice bath. I mean, if you're, if you're competing and, you're, and you're, you're at that high level, you know, and you're going to, you know, Nagas and Abu Dhabi and all like that. And, you know, there's an athletic approach to it, but for the common person, the, 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 the hobbyist, the one that looks for the, the self-defense, you got to get up in the morning, 
you got to either go to the cubicle and, and hit the keyboard or you got to shovel like dirt or cement or be a teacher. Yep. You got to wake up in the morning and you can't do that if you're if you're if you're wiped out from training before night before. I am. Um, I mean, you're talking about you know receiving your brown belt and then that first role and getting annihilated. Uh, I guess there's always that pressure that comes with a new promotion or a new rank and or or any, any time really, just you know that can't be beat by the you know the ranks below you. So many people have that kind of um, you know mentality, but. But with the association the way that it is, there's so much depth, there's so many layers, there's so many levels that there's always going to be a million people that will line up and be able to beat you. But I think yep. people struggle, you know, uh, you know, there's times when I struggle with that. You think, oh, I shouldn't be able to be be, be, be beaten by that person, but it, it happens. It's, uh, you know, but I just, I, one of the things that I always think about, Chris, is I, just, I, I never feel worthy of whatever belt is tied around my, my waist. <laughs> I always look down and think, how did that happen? Like, <laughs> take it back, let me be a white belt tonight. again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Have you, have you uh, got used to the black belt yet or not? I'm a, am I a black belt? No, have you got used to the, seeing the black belt yet? Well, that, that, was, that was my bad attempt at a joke because I was like, I'm a black belt? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the subtlety was so strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't do you I don't, um, I have a picture of Master Sauer tying my blue belt on and I'm wearing a, an old Atom, I'm well at the time in the picture, it's a new Atom gi. Yeah. And um, I purposely took that gi to my black belt test and I have the exact same picture of him tying my black belt on. And uh, I don't remember anything about the test. I remember the first move and the last, that's it. Everything else was a blur. Um, but when he was tying my belt on, uh, very emotional period. Uh, never thought I would make it that far. I never in a million years did I ever think that I would see the day that I get a black belt tied on at all. Um, and I was waiting for those, I heard, you know, I was waiting for those sage, that sage advice, maybe that, that, that ancient scroll that he was going to read to me from, or <laughs> give, give me the secrets, you know, as he was tying it on and he leaned in, he was just, so happy and smiling and he just looked at me and he says now start over and i'm like wow <laughs> you know and it, it weeks later you know i'm still I was, I, it's like that's what it is um you're always learning you never stop you never seem you never you never think that you're the right color belt you know like there's no way that i'm a a blue belt there's no way i'm purple or brown or black um and you just you're constantly learning and you're constant it's really weird jiu-jitsu is one of those weird uh experiences where you get all the stripes on your white belt and you feel good you're at the top of that food chain of the white belt food chain you're like, yeah and you look to your right and you see all the colored belts looking down at you like you're like you're a sardine you know you're like yeah you know, but you're not at the bottom anymore because you're looking down at the other rest of the white belts going, yeah, I'm here. And you get the blue belt and there's no stripes on your belt. And you look up the food chain and those upper blues and purples and browns and blacks don't even care. You know, they're looking down at you like, yeah, you're just, you're just a nine stripe white belt at this point. You're like, okay. And then you look to your left and the white belts are like, yeah, we still remember you as a white belt. 
<laughs> now you got blue on your target just got bigger it's like every time you, you belt up you start over again it's like you keep getting beaten down it's like ah it never ends um and as master sour and i, I know I'm, he always says it's just never quit you know you'll get there just don't quit and he's always it's ringing in my head today a black belt is a white belt that never quit it'll get there you know, and, and lose. And that's another thing you were talking about losing a little bit. Um, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow for some when you're teaching at the very beginning, because nobody wants to lose. Nobody believes that there's learning and losing, you know, yield to win. There's, it's, it's, it, it's not, not something you're conditioned to do. You learn more when you win. Um, I beat the game. I, I learned more. Um, but if you, if you openly lose, um, I learned very quickly that you gain more on the other end of the technique when it is applied to you and you lose and you tap the triangle. How did I get there? Where did I make my mistake? You know, and I, it's, it's tough pill to swallow for people, but I tell them, give your arm up. If somebody gets their hands in your collar, you made the mistake. And this isn't mine. This is something that was drilled into me for, for years. The mistake was already made. Mm -hmm. Tap. Go on. You don't have to like turn your head like a plum and you're going to, oh my God, I, I can resist this. I can resist this. No tap. Move on. Your mistake was six moves ago. Same thing with the arm bar, the triangle, the ankle lock, all these things. Um, and there's, once you pass, once you jump that chasm across that bridge where it no longer becomes ego, leave your ego at the door, which everybody sneaks in. You tell them, oh, I leave my ego at the door. No, you didn't. You tucked it into your gi and came in. <laughs> um, you know, but if you can really beat that first, the, once you get that out of your system and the filter is no longer clogged, you're, you exponentially grow. Yeah. And it's, it, happens, it happens rather easily. Once you pass that hurdle. It's a I think it's, you're, you're absolutely right. There was a period when we were allowed to roll. Just before, just before COVID. Before the um, dark times. <laughs> I think I had hair. I had, I had a really like, long perm back then. No, but, um, that would be hilarious. Yeah, no. But no, I remember I just kept on purpose trying to put myself into a triangle just so that I could work out different escapes and try and get out of it and try and improve my posture when I was like inside a triangle. And uh, I, 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 I see the benefit in, um, in not being afraid to, to tap and to, to learn from those, uh, from those bad positions. But it is hard. It, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to... Um, to dial it down and, and get to that kind of that, that state where it doesn't matter so that they are able to kind of look at what happened and learn from it rather than being kind of so amped up that they're not even paying attention to what's going on. Right. It's tough. Um, it's not easy. Uh, you have Ma Master Sauer's approach um, that made it, and I, I enjoy this when I roll with my students and I just roll with anybody. Um, Big difference, obviously, is a competition base when you've got time and you've got to force you've got to force things a little differently because you have time and points and all sorts of stuff. But when you're not playing speed chess and you're playing just 
a casual game of chess when time doesn't matter. Um, prevention and framing and, you know, you just take notes as the, as the person's trying to work there or trying to impose their will on you. Um, and then just capitalize on that mistake. Oh, did they make, did they, did they do that one time? Yeah, they did. Well, let's see if I see if they'll do it a second time and they do it a second time. I go, okay. If they do it a third time, you know, that that's what they've got. Mm-hmm. That's their answer to that one question. And if you know that the things you can build off those three, you know, the same answers three times, which is the fun of learning it, then you can, you can then capitalize on it when they go to make that fourth time. Mm. But instead of trying it the fourth time, you're already ahead of them and you either conduct a sweep or whatever technique you need. And it changes the conversation. Um, Yeah. It's, it's losing Going back to that, um, that's where you learn those things. Yeah, you know, the guy hits you with a with a scissor sweep a hundred times. Yeah, it's easy to throw your you know throw your gi in the corner and throw your belt whatever color it is and say that's it, I'm not doing it anymore. But then when you realize, okay, why is that person so successful at that? You know, where where am I at at that time that makes that one so easy? And it could be just a subtle adjustment of your hips, your base, the posture. Um, Another thing that I was always told as master Sauer says, the mook's already on the table. If you've got, if someone's got you in a triangle or your arms extended, it's yeah, mook's on the table is done. You know, now's not the time to fight it and, and work your way out of it and do all these different things. You made the mistake six moves ago or a position, you know, that you lost the position, position before submission, you know? Um, and that's all, that's a big question I get. How do I get out of this? Okay, well, don't get in it, which seems like a boneheaded thing to say somebody who's just learning, don't get in it. Well, okay, dummy, how do I not get in it? Now we have a discussion because, you know, um, I was the dummy in that, by the way, not student, I was, you know, hey, dummy, how do you get out of it? Okay, I'll show you. Um, and when you get people to the point where you can show them how to stay out of the triangle or stay out of having that arm extended or Kimura Americana, whatever, uh, it changes their, their experience on the mat. The conversation changes, the questions change, you know, on, on, on their approach to particular positions. Yeah, it changes. It's interesting you said about sort of the white you know the white belt or whoever just the the new person how do i get out of that or when you say well you know you don't you you stop it before it happens yeah yeah that was that was a yeah can tell that story in a minute um you're right it's really hard isn't it for that person at the beginning to to understand the idea with jiu-jitsu that that you know it could be a simple answer and it usually is, isn't it? It's usually, well, your hips were in the wrong position or your posture wasn't good enough or it's, it's really hard, isn't it? To impart that idea that it was something really simple a long time ago that caused the problem, not the problem itself at the, at the end. And that was what happened at the end, but actually it was. How do I get out of that armbar? Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's the only way yeah. to get out. Is there, is there anything... How do you sort of get people to understand that better? Those concepts of, um, you know, it's, the, it's your structure, it's your position, or do you just kind of let it roll and leave it 
until later on when you know they're going to understand it a little bit better? Wow, that's a layered question. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah, um, first off, I, I, I make a point of telling everybody that none of this is stuff that I developed. None of this is stuff that is coming from me. Mm. It's all, I'm just a conduit and I always point to Master Sal and Grandmaster Elio and um, I have crew and Asano on our wall for our Filipino, uh, for our uh, Kali course. Um, I have uh, Professor Baker up there, a dear friend of mine, uh, Alan Baker. Um, and I'm starting to collect pictures. A lot of them don't know this, but there are going to be a lot more pictures of my influences in the academy. And I'm going to do like a little montage of them. and They're going to have their faces on the wall. Um, it's, it's, that's a multi-layered thing because when you start teaching them the puzzle, then we start teaching them the, the, the chess pieces. The, everybody has that, that rabbit hole question. What if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? And you got to bring them back to just hand under the leg guard pass, concentrate on that. Don't concentrate on anything else. What if my arm is extended? Don't leave it here. You know? So it's a constant reassurance. Keep your arms in T-Rex, not out here. T-Rex. Um, and it's a constant probing to see when they get it. Uh, one, of, one of my friends uh, and uh, started out as a Padawan for me, um, but a, a very dear friend of mine and now our head instructor, uh, Grace, um, she reminded me one time that the most frustrating thing I said to her was, or when she would ask me certain questions, I would say, don't worry, it'll be there. Mm. And she said it frustrated the hell out of her because she was tired of that. You know, and she, she just wanted, she wanted the, the, she wanted to understand more. And my answer to that question was not right. It was not feeding the beast. Mm. And it, it, it was tough for me because I'm constantly evolving as, a, as an instructor because the students, will not let you rest on your laurels. You have to constantly evolve. Um, rolling with them, giving them the look of like, okay, did they see the arm bar? No, they didn't. Did they see it again? No, they didn't. They missed it. We roll some more. Did, here's the other arm, or did they see it? Or did they get me in a triangle or whatever? Um, success. Giving them the success in a role. Sure, I can, I can stop a lot of it. You know, they, you know they're going to get caught. You know, on any given day, you can get caught with anything. Um, but giving them that, uh, the, the ability to be successful at it first, it helps when, the, when it really gets tough. Because I was, the greatest, one of the greatest quotes I heard at a seminar recently, and I'm going to try to remember who said it, but the answer is simple. Simple jujitsu works all the time. Simple jujitsu, right? The answer is simple. Just do this. The little asterisk at the end of that is, yes, it's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. It's, it's never easy, you know. Um, it, it comes down, it, I think it always comes down to the simple message. It has to be, has to be, it has to be correct every time. You can't change the message. It has to stay there. 
um, has because it's true. Mm. Once the message it stays true, um, and you hope for that light bulb moment when they hit that scissor sweep in a roll between an active conversation you're having with somebody else, and they hit that scissor sweep and it catches like bing, they caught it, and they think that's it, they caught it. They don't need to do scissor sweep anymore. They hit it, right? No, it, it's a flickering light bulb because and it's gone. And then they come back to you later. Well, I, I, it doesn't work anymore. It's because the other person evolved. The other person figured it out. Or you tried to force it where it wasn't there and it wasn't working for you. Mm. You know, so that's, a, that's an approach to it. I think it's quite good as well, isn't it? When people, they kind of catch it once and it just it helps for them to ask a, a better question. You know, like it, it just resets what what they think it is that they're aiming for. Yeah, so you kind of, you catch it once. Oh, okay. And now you start, I, you just change. Okay. And now three months down the line, you might refine it that little bit more. And then you've got better questions again. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you can go to, uh, go to one of the higher, go to one of the higher seminars. Just pick somebody, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because the approach to we the, the the I hate to say this, but the throwaway move, like oh yeah, the bump and roll, whatever. And then you find out when you get taught the bump and roll from somebody like Master Hickson, mm. that changes it because it's not the same. It is not the same. There was that video, wasn't there, of uh, Budo Jake, wasn't it, Pete? When uh, there was a video when uh, Master Hickson went onto onto whatever the podcast was, kind of what it's called now, but he was he did he showed himself. Okay, I'm going to take Mount. You know, get rid of me. Couldn't, mm -hmm. do, it, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But just subtle little movements, obviously by by, by uh, Master Hickson. Switch it over. Right now, do the same to me. Off, off, off. It just proves that point, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not it was it was that. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's all, I think to go back to one of the questions was, you have a static version of say the mounted arm bar, mm. but that's not it. That's just to give you the, the idea of what it looks like. It isn't until you really start digging into it, you know, and uh, I always tell, we're a bunch of nerds. I mean, we talk about Marvel, we talk about DC, we talk about Star Wars, we talk about all this stuff. And I said, when you take a move like the mounted arm bar and you put it up on the top there, like Tony Stark does in Iron Man, and you start pulling the pieces away of it mm. down to its, to its bare, you know, four um, critical points. And then you see the arm bar in its static form. And then you start adding things to it, you know, like where you are, the knee position, offset mount, how to get behind the elbow, you know, Everything that it takes it from its, you know, if you take that complexity and you try to teach that to somebody just coming on the mat, you're going to, it's like, yeah. how? Yeah. Yeah. How? It's just not, it's just, it's, it's not going to filter as well as it was, uh, it was often said in this way, but this is one of the best analogies that I heard was just making simple rice, just simple rice pot, water, rice, butter, maybe, 
you know, you just learn how to make simple rice and then you can add stuff to it, you know, cayenne pepper, shrimp, whatever. But the simple recipe of each move is, is, is the key, at least in my experience and what I've heard from other people um, up the food chain. Um, keep it simple. Mm. You know, keep it simple and the complexities will iron themselves out as you, as you move on. But if you don't stick, if you don't have the simplicity, if you don't have the fundamentals on lock, and that doesn't mean that they're always on lock, you have to go back and drill them over and over again, which makes teaching even better because you're forced to go back and redo the mounted arm bar. You're forced to go back and do the simple triangle choke. You're forced to go back for the cross body, you know, Americana. Mm. You're forced to do these things and you're forced to continually, you know, explain them. So that when you're given the complexity on how to change a move so it's a little more um, um, it works better for you, mm. your particular body size. Once you're once you're given that, you have a great foundation that it that it's that it, it it's implanted in you. You can add the layer of complexity to it and it sticks. You know, so you you have a lot more answers to a basic question in a role, yeah. as opposed to back when you were a white belt or blue belt, you're just going to bulldog that arm over, you know, like, oh, it doesn't work that way. Well, they say, well, we, well you got to hammer everything, looks like a nail, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. It's, it's funny, because I'd literally earlier on, you going through that, talk about that, I was going to say, like, I remember white belt seminar first with Master Sauer, not understanding half of what was going on because of just not having those fundamentals so dialed in, like you say, with the arm bar, for example, just not, you know, I couldn't look at all oh, that little thing that he did that was slightly different that he does sometimes. And he go, Oh, well, and then he showed it again and showed something different. I wouldn't have even picked up on that then and certainly wouldn't. But once you've got that fundamental movement pattern, you then go, what did he just do with his other hand then? Why did he do that? Why did his foot go there? And you don't see that. And it sort of reflects back to the question thing, doesn't it? Is that you, you don't even see the thing to know to ask about the thing. Because yeah, <laughs> you were too busy watching. It's the magician saying, look, look at this hand over here. And whilst he's yeah, doing and his foot did something else. Yeah. 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 That, that was kind of my point on the, on the scissor sweep. You know, you, until you, for example until you've kind of hit it and you can kind of get the very basic, then you can start up, start dialing in other aspects, things yes. you never even knew were a thing before. You didn't even see they were there. Absolutely. It's, it's constant. You, uh, we're going to go to a, we're going to, I'm going to see him in July. Uh, or is it April? It's April. We've got a lot of seminars coming up. Sorry guys. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's always showing something and you're like, you look at other, you know, as a, as a starter, like a white belt or so forth, you're like, just, oh, wow, you know, like the musician thing. And then we'll sit there and he'll do something that's like real simple, you know, and I'll look it over at the other black belt standing. I'm like, did you ever see that? <laughs> like, no, I never saw that before. Are you serious? And we've had him in the office. I cornered him one time. We were standing in the office at, at Sterling and I said, professor, I said, you showed that move. I said, but then you showed it this way before. You know, this is the whole learning curve process. 
And he goes, no, I didn't. I said, no, you did. And we had other, there were other people in the office that were like, no, professor, we, we swear up and down. You, you but um, that's, the, that's the thing about Master Sauer. He's always learning. He's always learning something. And one of my best, I have a lot of stories with Master Sauer and much like everybody else does. But one of my favorites was when I showed something from a wrestling standpoint. And uh, Master Sauer was like, I was encouraged to show it to Master Sauer. So I did. This is cool. I'm going to show Master Sauer something. This is neat. So I showed it to him. And he was like, oh, that's neat. He goes, do it again. So I did. I'm like, okay. And he goes, well, do it again. So I set it up. I did it again. And he stopped it. I'm like, okay. He goes, let's do it again. So um, I went to do it. And he countered it. And I'm like, oh, all right. So he goes, let's try it again. And then as I was getting ready, he just completely shut it down. There was just no, I, I didn't even get the move started. He prevented it completely. And that set my ball rolling on how to look at jujitsu. Not like as we were talking about how to get out an extended arm bar. Mm. It's like now how to make sure that the arm isn't there to be extended, you know? Um, but yeah, that's uh, the problem solving part of jujitsu is one of those things that's the gift that keeps on giving in all aspects of, of, of life. I found jujitsu principles everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah he, it's interesting that learning thing. And obviously he does it in real time, whereas the rest of us probably take a couple of months to figure that out. He Years. Does it. Years. <laughs> figured out yeah <laughs> he, he does it in real time in front of your face and just says oh let's just yeah. let's, let's see how that feels let me see what my body does and then yeah that's you know what that's a great thing a lot of one i was asked one time um you know from a new point or a new perspective um going to a seminar is it worth me my time and money to go to see the seminar because i don't know anything I'm like, no, please do go to these seminars. You, you, you have to go. You should. Um, he goes, well, I'm not going to pick anything up. And it's like, no, you will. You will pick things up. Um, it, because the way that Master Sauer shows it and, and, and things like that is it's, it's everybody can do it. Mm. And it's, it's, it's spoken about in such a level that even as you and I spoke about, did you see what he did with his foot? Even though he didn't say it, we watched his foot. Now we know what to look for. We're, instead of looking it down like a little tube, we see the big picture. And I always tell people, once you see something done in class, don't be satisfied with, with visually seeing it. Ask to feel it. Yeah. Can, professor, can I feel that for a second? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on in. You know, can I feel it again? Yeah, absolutely. Because then you've got the feel. Because what we do is all feel. And you can watch it. You can watch a thousand videos and you can, you can, you can satisfy the dopamine hit by watching, you know, you know, Marcelo Garcia, you know, ad nauseum, but it isn't, it isn't, you can try it and it may work, but there's so much more to the feeling of it. If you can feel somebody put you in that, uh, in that, you know, that butterfly sweep or, you know, of course submissions, obviously, mm -hmm. but to understand certain ways that somebody deals with crossbody or getting out of crossbody or 
something of that nature, you really have to feel it. Mm. You just have to feel it. And if you, if you miss the opportunity to walk up to uh, uh, an upper level belt or the person giving the seminar and say, Hey, do you mind if I feel that kind of just for a second, hundred percent, they're going to say, yeah, absolutely. Let me show you hundred percent. At least they should. Yeah, I think that's when like, where we've been doing the classes online. I think that's that's been the, one of the hardest parts of it is someone has a question. It's like, like well, how would I do that? It's like, just hold that thought. If you can hold that for another couple of months, I will yeah. show you. <laughs> not, not, not that the question was in an argumentative, that won't work kind of way, but they need to feel it. You know, that, exactly what you're saying. They kind of, they feel it once and they know. Mm-hmm. They know what it is. You know, yep. and that's that's the thing that's just just missing for us guys at the moment, obviously for obvious reasons. Yeah. Now, did you guys now collectively? Did you guys um, how do you guys do a lot of competitions? Not Not really. Really. Yeah, I compete. I, I competed in judo for a long time, and then um, when we started jujitsu, then I've competed. You know, not tons and tons, but yeah, competed in jujitsu a bit. Okay. Now, is it, is it something that you find um, when you teach jiu-jitsu, do you teach it from a, um, a competition point of view? Or do you approach it from... Because I found with a lot of people, we, we teach what we know. We teach what we're used to. And we teach, you know, what, what is natural to us, you know. So I was curious, and a lot of people at least back in the day, I'd go to different schools and I'd have my Pedro Sour Patch on my geek and I'd walk in and I'd get fed to whatever Naga champion they had there. And um, usually they would do really well because it was a point thing. You know, you move here, get points, do this points, whatever. Um, and I was at a school one time and, and the person did really well. And at the end of it, they're like, oh, great training and everything like that. But I walked out feeling very good because I was never, I wasn't submitted. Yeah. I mean, he moved around me like a cracked out squirrel, but that was it. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, you got me, you text me, you got 16 points on me. Cool. Um, you know, yeah. uh, I was curious about your, your approach to that. I mean, yeah, if- I almost the opposite in that I got very disillusioned with competition for okay. that reason, for the opposite reason, in that you know we're really into the self-defense side of it. So you know what we teach and kind of talk about in the school a lot is from the self-defense point of view. And yeah, from we like you were saying earlier, it really resonated with uh, that we're just the conduit for what we learn from from you know our instructors and keeping it as close to the source as possible. Um, and, you know, we're just there to pass on what, you know, what we learn and what Master Sal teaches us and what, you know, our, our instructor lead has always been Professor Manganello. So what, you know, he, whatever he, you know, teaches us and distills down to us, then we, you know, we work with that. And I got really disillusioned from competition because my last one that I went to was a while ago now. And, and everybody pulled guard on me. Everyone just sat down on the floor. And I was like, I, I suddenly was like, actually, this isn't for me anymore because I want to, I want to try and take you down. I want you to try and take me down because I want it to feel more like a, 
obviously it's not a self-defense situation, but to give me that same feeling. And I just wasn't getting it. I'm like, well, if you're just going to sit on the floor, then... And, and the fact that they were mainly chemically assisted, right? Please? Well, there was a bit of chemical assistance going on with a lot of the other competitors, yeah. Oh, um, okay. yes. <laughs> yes. Um, how, and of course, the, the amount of tattoos you have um, is it, you, get a, you get a couple of percentage points on your yep. ability. Yeah. Um, how much you can bench press. <clears throat> Yeah, so yeah, I, I just got a, a bit disillusioned with it and and felt that it just took too much out of my time that I should be giving to the school and the students because you get, you know, you have to get quite focused, don't you? You have to get quite dialed into, you know, okay, I want this these two throws. These are my two throws and my takedowns. I'm going to drill them incessantly. So okay. I do those. Yeah, you get very kind of laser focused rather than I wanted to carry on with the breadth of, you know, everything that there is to learn and, focusing on the self-defense stuff really because i think well if you're just going to sit down well i'll just walk off right you now if you attack yeah. me and you sit down i'm, I'm gonna walk off so it's like it's like the uh the videos you see on youtube where the guy approaches another guy in the street you know and he goes to push him yeah it just drops down and butt scoots toward him yeah. um <laughs> that might have been a kit bale one actually in my opinion yeah um but i mean I, I you know i enjoyed all the competitions i did do but yeah just at the end i was just a bit like eh. Maybe this isn't for me anymore. Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of and and you know, we're all three of us probably speaking for the others. Same same mindset. We want everyone in the school. Our schools really, um, our students are really wide breadth of people as well. We don't have a, you know, a hardcore of competitors. It's it's meaning it in the nicest possible way. It's it's average people that just want to train, as it should be. Yeah, I mean. I'm not taking away from competition teams. There's, there's, a, there's the sports beautiful. Um, there is something to be said about pressure testing. Um, you know, if any of the students want to go to a Naga or something, I'm like, yeah, let's go. You know, um, the first group I had, uh, my dearest people, uh, they did a Naga and the lead up to Naga, none of them had competed in anything. Um, so I said, look, um, you're not going to be the same person when you get off the map. You're just not, this is going to, this is going to fundamentally change you. Um, which kind of, what does that mean? And it's less like, well, when you go after it, when you go out there and compete against somebody and the goal is to submit you, not pin your shoulders to the mat, like a wrestler, but you know, there's, there's a lot more to this. Um, they're going to come at you with everything. And, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. So, uh, you know, take him to the end of the mat, you know, what do you got for me coach? And it's like, uh, go have fun, you know? And I, I give him a hug and I send him out on the mat, you know? And at the end of it, it's like, well, you know, aren't you going to coach the guy like, or the, your, you know, your practitioner? I'm like, no, cause I'm coaching the other guy too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of dumb. And I said, if I've missed something or, you know, it would be the same. We'll, we'll discuss it back at the class, you know, go out there, have fun, do your job and uh, we'll see what happens at the end. But when I came off the mat, they were like, yeah, that's, that's an eye opener. Um, and it, in lieu of having like in corrections, uses of force, commonplace. Um, I've worked security. I've dealt with fights and other things, you know, and, like that we say, you know, you don't know anything about yourself until you've been punched in the face. And 
in lieu of sending somebody into a, uh, you know, a biker bar with a wad of twenties hanging out of their pocket or, you know, uh, putting them in a football stadium, right. With the opposite Jersey on could go bad. Right. Maybe, <laughs> um, putting them in a position where they can't be pressure tested. You don't know, you don't know how you're going to react and competition gives you that out. Not necessarily saying MMA, but go to a Naga, go to a, a grappling competition. It's going to pressure test you for sure. Yeah. I always said to people that when, like, so whenever you have our guys have said, oh, I want to try it. I've said, just be ready for that first 20 seconds where the world speeds up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just be ready for that first 20 seconds where everything goes faster than your brain has ever been used to it going. I said, if yep. you just ride that out somewhere, just you know, just find a grip, find a, a back, find your base, ride that twenty seconds out, and then it will come back down to normal because your brain will adjust, and you'll be then you can do jujitsu. But your first twenty seconds, if you're not used to competing, will be two hundred miles an hour, and you'll go, oh my, what just happened? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> For sure. Um, and I think that was the other thing. I kind of got used to that, and kind of I was almost asleep before my matches at, at that point and i'd just be yeah like and they'd call me i'd be like oh oh is it me okay i just walk on okay cool let's go yeah and yeah. then i'm like oh, okay i'm not getting the same buzz anymore either i'm kind of getting lazy <laughs> with you got oh, used to cool. It. oh cool yeah let's have a roll let's go so yeah, yeah. but yeah when, yeah guys that haven't competed before and we've had vice the other side where it, it's kind of lost to students because it's freaked them out so badly that yeah yeah that's a tough one when you've got and we tried different approaches to rolling. Um, we had people that came in, you know, and they would take one class and they would usually teach one or two techniques and they'd immediately want to roll. And I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had after opening a school where I had to say, you're not ready yet or some vernacular, some, some, some approach to that conversation. And I've had people that are like, man, I'm bored. I'm, you know, people I'm worried about losing students because I wouldn't let them roll right off the bat. Um, when I first, when we first opened the school, uh, I had people walking in wanting to pay $20 to roll, you know, do an open mat. And I, I was like, I, we don't have open mats. We don't, we don't, I don't, I don't invite random public to come in and just roll. We have free roll Friday is for the students. It's, it's open mat. It allows them to play the game. It allows them to socialize. Um, I've had people call me and say, Hey, I mean, first thing it's funny. They call me and say, you know, how much? I'm like, okay, let's, let's have a conversation and figure out what's going on. And they're like, Hey, I'm in town. I want to come by. I'm a purple belt under blah, 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 or blue belt or whatever. Um, I want to come in and just get my roll on. And I go, well, how, 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 how long are you in town for? Uh, well, I'm going to only be here tonight. Uh, well, we have classes on Monday. And they, they're like, well, you don't, you don't have a, an open role? I said, no, no. Um, I have, a, it's, it's pretty much closed door to students. And I, and I had one guy tell me, well, how do you, how do you train jujitsu that way? And I said, I said, you can't. I said, our students do fine. Um, but I have a duty and a responsibility to make sure that the mat is safe at all times. 
and just having John Q public or Jane Q public coming and just want to get the roll on. No, I don't know you. I don't know what your background is. Um, I've walked a pretty interesting path since I opened the school and I've had some very interesting interactions with people and I've, I've actually had to tell people, this is not, this is not a place for you. I'm not a gym, you know, pay your $10 and go work out mm. an academy. It's a school we learn here. Um, has it turned some people away? Probably. Um, but it's also kept the integrity of the, of the mat um, so that, you know, I got a blue belt or whatever color belt doesn't matter. And some guy comes in or some girl comes in and just goes straight up, you know, berserker on them you know, and sign on for that. So anyway, well, that's it. Well, she might not have let that person in. I'm sure you've, uh, you've done good for retaining more students as a result of it, Chris. So, uh, I think your, your approach is the right one. Well, I appreciate that. Sometimes I question it, <laughs> but I, think, I don't question it much. No, I think it's, I, it sounds spot on to me. And I think we try to take the same approach. We've had someone before, like not too many to be fair, but one guy who really got put out when I wouldn't let him, I you know, wouldn't let him roll afterwards. And I said, look, and to be honest, I, I kind of feel like I don't know this person. There's no skin off my nose if he doesn't like me afterwards. I didn't know him when he walked in. I don't know him when he walks out. You know, he's like, yeah, but you've just seen me training class and you know I'm a good guy. I said, no, I don't. I've just seen you training class. I don't know you. I don't, right. you know, exactly your approach. I'm not going to let someone step on that mat and potentially injure someone who's a full-time member here trying to learn just because you want to roll. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you've got, and that's, that's, that's the dopamine. That's what we want. We want, we, we come to jujitsu because we want to grapple. We watch YouTube or we see things that we want to, we want to emulate. So we want to get into it as quickly as possible. You don't go to the public pool just to stand in the shallow end up to your ankles and go, wow, that was neat. I'll get out now. No, you want to jump into the deep end. You want to go off the diving board and all the other stuff. Um, so having the constant reassurance to the student, it's like, look, you're just learning the chess pieces. Mm. You know, I can put him in situations where like, okay, um, you're mounted. You have to put the person back in guard person on the mount your hands are stuck to the mat you can't use them you can only use your lower body to stay mounted that changes things mm. okay go and if you get put back in guard start over um and there's multiple scenarios but and you, you purposely take the submission out of it yeah. purposely because you know the 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 energy in which somebody who just learned a submission goes after it i mean that's Good Lord. Um, you know, it's, it's, it can be tough to dial that back for some, you know, cause they really want to roll um, and getting them to say, look, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You, you just gotta, you gotta trust me in this. And it's, and like you said, it's a, it's a working relationship. I don't know you. Um, Master, Master Sauer told a story once that he said that, you know, I don't, I may not, Give me two years and I'll know everything about you. Give me two years. I'll know everything about you. I mean, you may catch me in the first week or two, the first month, I may not know everything about you. But in two years, I'll know who you are. And 
that's the best thing about jujitsu. It's the great, it's the great equalizer, the great truth sayer. You get out on the mat and it'll come out. No hiding. Do you have any, do you have any sort of ways? I mean, what I've noticed about a lot of the schools is that there's a, there's a culture that permeates through it. And I'm sure it's obviously to do with myself. There's a culture that permeates through the schools and the association um, and that safety first thing, obviously, and, and the encouragement and everything else. But is there anything you do? It's a tough question, but to encourage that culture or is there you know, things that you do to, to form your culture of your school? Well, we, when Kathy and I started talking about the school, we, we looked at some of the things that, that were happening at the time in schools, some of the things that we had collectively experienced, um, some of the things that turned people away, people off to, to training at, at, at some, of the, um, some of the schools that we had experienced. And we decided that this is the type of culture we wanted. And once we decided what we wanted, it was easy. Well, no, it wasn't easy. It was just, it was, it was a pathway. We knew what we wanted to achieve. Um, and that, that started the process of smiling, playfulness, um, losing, me losing. I didn't have to be, I didn't have to be the enforcer on the mat. And then subsequently being mindful of the need for the enforcer. If I, I don't need an enforcer if I don't have the element where I need it. So filtering that became a top priority. Um, a family atmosphere, um, everything from how you speak on the mat to how do you, how do you approach children? How are children approached you know, um, as Kathy so adequate, you know, so articulately put um, women on the mat, girls on the mat, you know, that's huge. That's, that's, that's a, you know, with respect and, you know, that poses some challenges in itself, you know. Um, but once you establish the culture, it's never something you can rest on your laurels about. You have to continually nurture the culture and you can't let it be contaminated. If you decided that you're going to have a particular thing, um, you may be tested from time to time where you, you're given something that you have to look at and go, no, our culture is this. And as much as I would really hate to turn this person away because I need another five more students, you know, I, I'm sorry this is not quite what you're looking for. I don't have a problem when somebody calls me and they give me their resume and they tell me all the things that they're looking for. I know very quickly if that person is going to be happy at our school. Mm. Um, that person may come in and I'm like, okay, back in the day when we first started, I figured, well, I can just, if I just get you on the mat, I can, I can persuade you mm. to see things how we, how we did it, you know, master sour and everything. I can, I can persuade you. I started realizing that what happens with, with some people like that is they'll come on the mat and they'll realize this is not what I was looking for. So can, maybe I can turn it into what I want. So 
their intensity may change, their approach to things, they're wanting to, you know, they, re they really want 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu in Inverness, Florida, but there isn't any. So I got this agogi place that I can barely pronounce, which by the way, in retrospect, if you're gonna start a school, make sure you pick a name that doesn't come back to bite you later, because in retrospect. <laughs> but then you get somebody that you walk in and they really, really want that 10th planet experience and this is not it and it's like i do have no gi but no gi isn't an actual class it's like 30 minutes in a rolling there's belts on the floor and then eventually tops come off and it's no gi and we have no gi going on you know um and i found that lately i have found other places like in, in surrounding areas that have a culture that that person may may be more happier with from the beginning and i've had people and i say you know what i know where you're at and it sounds like to me you're leaning more toward an mma experience um so these are the things you're going to need for that experience whether you get in the cage or not and there's a couple of couple of uh schools in the area and i gladly without reservation send them in that direction mm. um because i want to it, it's they they need to be serviced. They need to to be happy with what they choose. Now the the residual is I've had a few people call me up later and say, "Hey, um, can I come try a class?" I'm like, yeah, sure, come on in. You know, you've had a chance to go shopping. You know, now come in and see what we've got. So the culture the culture is important. How you maintain it, stick you know stick to it. Um, and the cool thing about it is, is that the people that are on the mat that are there and they love it and they're there for the experience and the culture, they in turn help you police the culture. Yeah. You know, we don't do that here <laughs> type of thing, you know? Um, so that's, that's my answer to that is it, it, it eventually becomes so ingrained in the school they, like a bonsai tree, you just have to clip it from time to time and, and, and make sure that it's, it's still intact. And talking to your students, making sure that you're on the right track. You know, yeah, talk about that black belt weight. You know, I'm always talking to them, asking, did I screw up somewhere? You know, did I, did I, could I have explained that better? Um, you know, uh, Grace uh, is always making sure and brutally at times making sure that I'm on point and that I, you know, so, you know, you taught it this way and then you added this. So are we changing it in this direction or do we want to go back? And she's, between her and Kathy both, they, they talk and then I get nailed. And then they talk and I get nailed. But um, they keep me honest. They keep me honest and they keep me on track. So, so uh, you, uh, you mentioned earlier that obviously you and Kathy decided to open the school. Was was the, the, the location of Inverness in Florida already decided or did that come later? Um, basically, it's because of the area down here. Um, we're not, as a metropolitan area, there's not, we're not jam-packed. I mean, they're like little towns, okay? Uh, I don't know the populations off the top of my head, but these towns are separated by maybe a 15-minute to 20-minute drive, and they're small. So I lived in Inverness area. Um, it would have been a 10 minute drive to the school and 
there was, when I got here, there were some, there were some people here that were doing um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, there was um, one school in Ocala. There was a school in Crystal River. Um, and the closest thing to any, there wasn't a Pedro Sauer place anywhere, not within driving distance. It just wasn't. Sarasota was the closest one. And that was an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes away. A little too far. Um, so just by location alone, it was, it, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect because we could plant our flag right in the ground and uh, build. So, um, yeah, location was perfect. I'm terrible at movies, but the, the guys will correct me, but build it and they will come. What's that one? Oh, no, dead on, man. Build a dream. Dead on. <laughs> dead on. The minute, the minute the doors opened, you know, um, everybody that's, that's, and I say this all the time, to all, the, all their credit in the world, um, they're, they're the reason the school exists. You know, they come in, they like it, they stay. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some people that it wasn't their particular, you know, brand of vodka and they, they moved on and that's fine. That's okay. Um, I've had people move out of state that didn't want to move. They're like, Chris, where are we going to go? You know, we don't know anybody. And um, I do the best I can to, I call where they're going and I find schools and I say, hey, I got a student that may bounce in, you know. Um, but build it and they will come. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't. You, you've got it nailed, right? So isn't it, isn't it a tradition in America that as you get older, you, you, you migrate further south? So you're going to be like the home for all of the uh, aging. Um... <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, I'm 51. And uh, yeah, the... I have people that call that are, you know. Um, they call them snowbirds. Is that the right phrase? Yes. Yes, they're snowbirds. Uh, we have a lot of our Canadian friends come down. And um, I get, I got a couple of students that came in from Canada just to, to hang out. But when they come down here, they're all, they want to play golf. They want to go to the beach. They want to do other things. Um, so jujitsu isn't really on the radar, you know, so to speak. But um as I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in, I'm in a place where I want to be. It's 73 out. It's beautiful. Sun is still out. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful place. Absolutely gorgeous. So. Awesome. I, uh, another one to add to the road trip. I don't know if, we'll ever, if ever we're going to make this road trip happen, but we're, uh, we need to come over and visit everybody that we've spoken to. <laughs> Absolutely. Love to have you. Uh, love to have you down here. Uh, take you to the beach, take you out on an airboat ride. Maybe, maybe uh, introduce you to the fine delicacy of alligator. Um, <laughs> um, but for Probably sure, get eaten by the alligator. No, in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you guys have? Um, do you guys have any questions that are um, one really, really important?
One really important one. Last week I asked Kathy what her, her favourite her signature move was, and and she 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 you said that she didn't do a very good job of explaining herself, but she constantly constantly gets you with the same move. So what is it? Oh God, um, it's gonna it's gonna uh, it's gonna. Uh, she is, and I'll I'll take it to if you guys would um, allow or indulge me a little bit. Um, Kathy holds a brown belt in judo. She is one of a select hand, um, very select few women that have achieved black belt in our association. Um, she got to her fifth level of Krav Maga. Um, and she works in a library in a high school. So, you know, she's like the John Wick of, of librarians and uh she competed in judo uh and did very well she she did um and through some playfulness we would have on the mat from time to time i would go up and we'd be standing and i'd grab a hold of her gi and i'd grip her and she'd get this look in her eye and she'd hit me i can't she hit me with a drop saranagi one time that <laughs> turned into a sacrifice throw. She landed right on top of me. And her judo instructor was there at the time. And she goes, Kathleen, we don't do that. <laughs> uh, another one was a beautifully done hip throw where again, instead of like, as I went over shoulder, she pulls up and lets me hit the mat. No, she hit me over the shoulder and then just dropped her feet and both shoulders right into my suplex. <laughs> um, she loves to throw me. So any, any chance that I know that I've got her gi and she, she gets a look in her eye and it's, uh, she's hit me with a few trips. So judo throws are, for her, are um, pretty stellar. They hurt. You remember them. <laughs> That's her for sure. <laughs> but she's amazing. Guys, let me tell you something. And I got I to I put this out there. Um, there are a lot of women out there that are just, Pathfinders, um, LaVon Martin, that's another person you need to talk to. I'm sure she's got stories about her days going through, uh, grew in Asano and, you know, the Kali and now in jujitsu, owning her own school in Sarasota. Fantastic. Um, Kristen DeBrecker, you know, uh, Kathy would go to, to, she would travel to, master sour seminars and she'd show up you know and you know professor would come back and go you know i saw kathy she was in kentucky and i'm like yeah she follows you sir you know and, and she did not give up for for somebody who literally just lived the lifestyle um a constant beacon for anybody anybody male or female to to you know, to learn the art, to learn, the, to learn what we have. I mean, she's a fantastic instructor and passionate to, to, to the nth degree about making an environment and a culture that is open to anyone, not just women on the mat, but anyone in general. And one of the, one of the best ambassadors out there. And, and I am, I am, blessed and i don't use that word a lot but i am blessed to have her not only as a partner in a school 
but as my dearest, closest friend and um, just an amazing human being. So Kathy, I told you I would. So there it is. <laughs> she, uh, it's just, she was great. And it's just been so great. Everyone's been, <clears throat> I said this a couple of podcasts ago, everyone's been so generous with their time. And, um, you know, I, I know our students um, that listen to the podcast get a lot out of it. Um, and it's, you know, they kind of, we do it for, we started it for our, our own connection. I think, like I said before, to jujitsu and and uh, getting to know more people in the association and stuff like that. But also it has, it's turned into that thing where, you know, the students have got so much out of it and the, the feedback we got from, from Kathy's um, podcast, from our students, you know, particularly our female students, but from everyone, actually, it wasn't just our female students. You know, we had almost more sort of WhatsApp messages on the group saying how fantastic it was and she was. So, yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. Um, so, yeah, we were lucky, lucky to get her, lucky to have her on and get to talk to yeah. her, you know, and, we're, you know, it's the same with everyone. So, you know, we're so lucky to get to talk to everyone for sit down for such a long time and chat to people. And, yeah, we get a lot out of it and our students get a lot out of it. So thank you very much for well, your time that you've given us today. It's, you know, it means a lot. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for having, uh, having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if I sounded like just a babbling monkey. Uh, I tried, I tried not to, um, but thank you so much. Continue on. Uh, I hope you guys are released from your, your, uh, your, uh, isolation soon. I really do. Cause it's, it's important. Um, your students are, are just so lucky to have you guys. Um, you know, go, go in, play, have a good time, build a family. Um, because that's where it's at, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, I just want you guys to know it's, it's, it's been an honor for me. Uh, I, if there's anything you guys need, reach out to me, you guys, you guys know where I'm at. Uh, I'll be happy to pass anything on to you. Um, and just a, a, a real quick one. Uh, if he ever happens to see it, I cannot say enough about master sour um, dear personal friend love him to death um, he took the time to help me map map out jujitsu um, never ceases to ask how i'm doing or we talk about he always asked me about my knee he always asked me about my my hand and um you know in, in a world that is fluctuating so much uh Relationships and loyalties um, are just, they have such a heavy weight and I cannot thank that man enough for what that man's done to me personally, teaching me and then passing it on to, it's, it's like I said, I'm a conduit. It's all going to my students and without him, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Guaranteed, 100% full stop. So thank you, Master Sauer, so much. Thank you to all the black belts that have helped me I'm taking two seconds to do that. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to let everybody know. I appreciate your time. I really do. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, sir. That's uh, perfect. But before we let you drop off, is there anyone, uh, sorry, is there any, if people want to get hold of you, if they want to find the school and come and join or come and train, or what, oh, how, how, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, Agogi Academy of Combatives in Inverness, Florida. That's A-G-O-G-I, Academy of Combatives. Um, an unasked question that 
the, the term agogi came from a book called uh, uh, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. It's a book that I highly recommend anybody reading. Um, you can go online, go to the association page, uh, pedrosauer.com. Uh, go down the association tab. You'll find us down there. Um, just hit me up. You can find me. That number goes right to my phone. Uh, and if you're stateside and you want to hang out and you know, get some grub, do some training, uh, please, please bring your gi and uh, we'll make it happen. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, everybody that's been watching, listening. Um, I'll put the link to your academy in the show notes. Um, and everything else I need to know, guys, hit subscribe, like, rate the video if you've got that far. If you're listening on um, audio, can you give it a rating or some comments on iTunes or Google Podcast or Spotify? I think I've covered everything. Um, and we'll log off um, live now and say thank you and we'll catch you on the next one. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, guys. Cheers, bye.